We're going to get into our message today. We're into our series called Life and Death. So get your Bible out if you have one. We're going to use it today. Get your phone out, whatever you use to follow along. How many of you guys have been following along with this hurricane that's been hitting the East Coast? Anybody been following along that? That's been the big news uh, all week long. And actually, I got a brother who lives over on the East Coast, and he's had to flee inland. And, and uh, man, we just watched all the devastation that's happened. And, and it's been kind of a, a crazy week, obviously. Devastating for a lot of people. Um, and I happened to be thinking about that this week. And um, I was thinking about that story that Jesus told. And, I, and it's about those who build their house on the rock or the sand. I thought, man, how crazy would it be if you actually had a house on the beach? I mean, no foundation, just literally built on the sand, and this was coming at you. How many of you guys know when the storm would come in that situation? I mean, even those who have strong foundations are having to brace and prepare and put up all sorts of stuff but can you imagine just being on the beach with the, just a house with no foundation just built on the sand? You pretty much have no chance, right? I mean, you'd have no chance. And uh, Jesus tells us about this story in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And so we, he contrasts these two different types of people, some who build their house on a rock, a solid foundation, and then those who build their house on the sand. And, and it's tied in with obeying him and all sorts of things. But how many of you guys would just agree with me just for a moment uh, I hope you would, but if I could build my life perfectly on only what Jesus says is truth, how do you guys know that that would be the most perfect life I could have, right? I mean, if, if I would only build my life only on what Jesus says is right and true, that would be a solid foundation for my life. The question is, I think a lot of us know this and would agree with this, but then the question is, why then don't we do that all the time? Why don't we build our foundation or build our life only on what Jesus says is true? Because so many times we find ourselves building our lives on other things. But we know that if we build our life on what Jesus says is true and only what Jesus says is true, it would be the best life that we could possibly have. And yet somehow we, we see this over and over again that we find maybe even ourselves building our life on sand. I mean, we read scriptures like Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree that's planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. Here's another picture of someone who's planting their life in the right place. And when you plant your life in the right place, when you have roots in the right place, you prosper. But if you're pulled away from the right place, then what happens? You begin to wither and you begin to try to, to manufacture a good life, but it doesn't happen so often, right? So we know all of these things, so why do we not build on the rock? 
I've wondered this for a while. I had a friend of mine that I, I grew up with. We, we grew up and had, uh, we didn't have the same background, but we had similar experiences. Went to the same school, uh, were around the same friends, uh, went to the same church, uh, had the same job uh, for several years. I mean, all of these similar opportunities and experiences, and yet their life is like a crisis after crisis after crisis, and, and we had the same opportunities. We had the same experiences. And many times we had the same friend circles. We had the same choices. So why is it that we would, one would build a life on, on what seems to be shifting sand and, and others would build their life on the rock? I, I, I wrestle with this because I see too many of us, we end up building our life on, on really what culture says is right. Or I'll even go even further. We, some of us are building our life on the American dream instead of the rock. Now, I'm not saying the American dream's all bad, but I'm saying that if you're living in the kingdom, there does come a point when the kingdom of God and the American dream part ways. And we need to hear this as believers because we're we're not, I mean, we're more like Daniel living in Babylon than you realize. And too many of us are happy to eat the king's food. When Daniel said, no, I'm going to hold to the ways of my God. And, and so I see too many of us, and we, we've been sold this line of goods that the American dream is the kingdom of God, or that the American dream is the, the life that we're supposed to live as believers. And again, I'm not saying that everything about that is wrong, but I am saying there does come a point where if you can't separate, then you've bought into eventually building your life on sand. And, and you've built your life on a place that, Everything's fine until the storm comes. See, the storm doesn't cause your problem, it reveals your problem. The storm doesn't cause so much of the problem as much as it reveals what you've actually been building your life on. And so then the storm comes and beats away everything that is not founded upon the truth of Jesus Christ. And for some of us, that means we don't have a lot left. And then I've seen this over and over again as a pastor. People build their life on sand, and then the storm comes, and then they say, where is God? And that's where so many people end up. Well, where was God? Well, you know, where where was God in this situation? Where was God in that situation? Where was God in this situation? And, and And many times it's because we've been building our life on sand, and everything's okay, and everything looks good, and the beach house looks nice, and the beach looks nice until the storm comes. But we know that the best way is God's way, so why would most people build their house on the sand? I I was thinking about that this week and have an illustration as to what I think might be part of the reason, so let's watch. So I read this interesting article the other day about advertising and how like conventional wisdom in advertising is this, like basically advertisers take, uh, they create an emotion in you and then they take their product and they try to become the solution to the emotion and they try to attach an emotion with their product. So like Coca-Cola, they are trying to make their product associated with happiness so that every time you think about Coke, that if you have a ha- if you want to be happy, that you're going to buy Coke. And so that's like conventional uh, wisdom about advertising. And this guy makes the case in the article that that's not necessarily what's going on. It's not like Pavlov's dog where there's a bell that rings and then all of a sudden you're hungry and you get, uh, or that you get food placed in front of you and your need is satisfied. 
Because that's not what really happens in advertising. I mean, we watch something. It's pretty shallow exchange. I mean, maybe if we were drinking Coke and every time we drank a Coke, they put a puppy in our hands. Yeah, that would be awesome. Then we associate Coke with happiness. But that's not what happens. So what is happening? And so he makes the case that what's actually happening is not emotional inception where they plant an idea or an emotion in you and then try to to associate that. He, He says it's more about cultural imprinting. So what does that mean? Well, let's take a product like Nike. So Nike is known. You got the little swoosh there. Nike is known for what? Or they try to associate themselves with athletic excellence, right? And so emotional inception would go like this. I, I see a commercial. I see that Nike is really, you know, athletic and that's what it's associated with. And I just really have this desire to be athletic. And so I'm going to buy shorts with a swoosh on it because it's going to make me more athletic. No, that's not really what happens. You associate Nike with academic excellence. And so when you go to buy something like that, you, you want to make, you want to make it known to everyone else that you are athletically exceptional, which is why I buy these shorts because I am athletically exceptional. When I, if you play basketball with me, you know what I'm talking about. So, but that's what cultural imprinting is. It's not just enough that you know about it. Cultural imprinting is that not just you know about it, but also you know that everyone else knows the association as well. Why do you think you don't see too many commercials for Q-tips or bed sheets? Because hopefully there's not a lot of people that you can show the bed sheet to and say, this is says something about me because I bought this brand of bed sheet or this type of Q-tip or even like gas stations. I mean, think about how much we spend more on gas than, than a lot of other products. And yet you don't see a whole lot of commercials for gas stations, even though we spend thousands and thousands of dollars there. Why? Because a gas station is more of a personal exchange where most of the time when you're using these products, you're going to be, it's, it says something about you. It's not so much what the product does for you, but what it says to other people about you. And so what does that have to do with what we're talking about today? I believe that Satan, one of Satan's biggest tricks is not try to get us personally to make so many bad decisions or to build our life on the sand. I think one of his biggest tricks is cultural imprinting, where it's not just about what this does for me or when I make these decisions or I build my life this way, but it's actually what it says to other people about me. So when I get my kids involved in certain activities, what does it say about me to other people that my kids are in these activities? What does it say about me to other people? And so then we post all of that online and it becomes the, the, the foundation for how we build our life. I think it's one of Satan's biggest traps. And so what do we do? I I think it's more, it's not so much about a personal thing with us, but it's more about a cultural thing with us. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is death. So how do we move beyond this? How do we move from building our life on the sand uh, to building our life on the rock? Jesus gives us such an amazing example when he was faced with these cultural pressures that Satan brought out. And so let's watch what Jesus did. All right, so what did, what did Jesus do? Of course, that's not the same. It's not all advertising that's that way. Uh, but you'll notice that things that are personal advertisements have different channels for the way they advertise them than, than public ones. So it's very interesting. But Jesus handled this in, in when he was faced with three temptations of what really represent culture. And many of us know these scriptures, but 
Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, it says, And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. So what, what happens? Jesus goes back and he says, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus responds to these culture pressures with the word. Now, Satan is using these things, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. You see them in Genesis. You see them, I believe it's in 1 John. You see them right here. You see that we see them every day. But he responds with the word of God. I want you to see what else happened, though. You know, Satan used the word of God. You know, Satan uses, he knows the Bible probably better than you do, right? So here's what Satan does. Satan uses... Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Satan uses the word of God to trick you into believing that, the, that God's ways are culture's way. And so many people are bought into that we leverage the word of God to live like culture. We'll even leverage the word of God to the American dream and put the word of God behind it. And he's so sneaky at it. But you know what? Jesus used the word. Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and he, all the kings of the world and their glory. And he said, all these I will give to you, which is what he likes to do with all of us. Hey, if you'll do this, you'll get all this. Take a shortcut here. You get all this. Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. We talked about this last week. How do we win with our words? we ended up with talking about the way we win is we say what God says. But how many of you guys know, if you, if you want to say what God says, you have to know what God has said. You have to know what the word says, rightly. You can't just take cherry-picking verses out and try to, to form a theology to try to condone the way that we live so that we feel good about it. Now, so if we want to say what God says, we, we have to think what God thinks, and this is why I say you have to put the word of God in you when you don't need it. So it's the word of God that comes out when you do. Because usually it's too late when the storm comes. When the storm comes, whatever's in you is going to come out of you. And if the word is not in you, then something else will come out of you. So we have to put the word of God in us when we don't need it so that it will be there when we do. I can't remember who said this, but somebody said, I can't afford to have a thought in my mind that God doesn't think about me. I thought, wow, that's again, going back to building my life on the rock. Only what Jesus says is what is allowed in my life. So are we living our life or building our life on the sand or on the rock? How would we know? Let me give us, I'm just gonna give us two questions to wrestle with today, two questions. The first one is this. Who's the real leader, culture or Christ in our life? Let's get honest before God here today. Who is the real leader, culture or Christ? How many of you guys have heard of John Maxwell? Anybody heard of John Maxwell? He's a leadership teacher. Some call him a leadership guru because he's written all these books on leadership. He makes this statement, and he has for years, that if you want to define leadership and what leadership actually is, 
Leadership can be boiled down to this. Leadership is simply influence. If you can influence, if you have influence, you have leadership. He makes the case that leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. It's not about titles. It's not about positions. Leadership is influence. It's nothing more. It's nothing less. It doesn't matter who's technically in charge of a group of people or in a room. You can find out who the real leader is by at some point, and have you guys been in a situation like this? You might have somebody who's got a title or a position leading a group of people or a meeting. And then at some point, everyone looks over at someone who's not the person with the title to see what they're going to say. Whenever, whoever people look at for the final word or the most important word is the real leader in the room, no matter position, no matter title because they have the most influence, because leadership is influence. So it's across the board, and many of you guys have witnessed this. You can, you can tell in your family, in your extended family, who the leader is by who everyone looks to for the final word in a situation. You can look at your business meeting. You may have a manager that, that is really bad, and you may have somebody on your team, though, that everyone really turns their head and looks to because they trust that person, and they really have, they're the real leader, regardless of title. That's what John Maxwell makes, and I've seen it over and over and over again. So he has this great story about this to help illustrate it, and I can't tell it better than John Maxwell, so I'll let John tell it. Let's watch John. So I'm kind of intimidated as I go to my first board meeting, and Margaret, my wife, knows that, and so she kind of prays for me. I go to my first meeting, and I I have a prayer time, and then I look out at this board, this just handful of people, and I didn't know what to do, so I said, well, does anybody have anything on their heart? As soon as I asked that question, there was a a farmer in the church by the name of Claude who stood up. And and Claude stood up and he said, well, yeah, he said, there are a couple things that I have on my heart and he shared it with me. And and what was so slick is everything that Claude said, there was a guy sitting right beside him by the name of Benny and Benny seconded everything Claude said. So Claude would say it, Benny would second, and everybody said, aye. And after a while, Claude said, well, he said, I think we're done tonight, preacher. He said, you can close in prayer. And I said, well, I think I will. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I went home that night. Margaret looked at me and said, well, how'd it go, honey? I said, oh, sweetheart, no problem. No problem. I said, I only need two people, God and Claude. And if I say I'd only get one, I'd like to have Claude because he's the one who shows up the most around here. Now, like I said, Claude was a farmer. About a week before the next board meeting, I called him on the phone. I said, Claude, can I come down and kind of do the chores with you around the farm? Can we, can we just kind of walk around the farm? And, and I said, while we're doing the chores, I'd like to talk to you about the church. He said, well, preacher, he said, I'd love for you to come down. And he said, sure, I would love that. So I went down that day. We did the chores around the farm. And while we did the chores, we talked about the church. I'd say things like, you know, Claude, the front door on the church paint is just cracking and peeling off of that. I said, visitors, when they walk up that that walk, the first thing they see is that door. It's a terrible sight. I said, what do you think we ought to do? Well, he said, it seems to me like we ought to take off the old paint and put a fresh coat of paint on that door. I said, I like that. I like that. I said, Claude, would you mind 
would you mind next Tuesday night at the board meeting bringing that up to the church board? Oh, he said, sure. He said, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. I said, Claude, right behind the, right behind the platform area, we have three rooms and three, really, little, just real little rooms. And then the one on the right, we have a Sunday school class. One on the left, we have a Sunday school class. And both of those are full. Then we got this one in the middle that we, we well, we got a bunch of junk in there. We got last year's manger scene and a whole bunch of stuff in there. And I said, but we're already full in those other two classes and we really need to have another class. What are we going to do? Well, I said, I think we ought to take the stuff out of that middle class and start another Sunday school class. I said, I like that. I said, Claude, would, would you mind next Tuesday night just bringing that up to the board? Oh, he said, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. That's no problem. I said, Claude, have you been down in the basement of the church? He said, what do you mean? Well, I said, there's a couple inches of water down there. Frogs are hopping around. Crawdads are crawling around. I said, we can't have any kind of functions down there at all because of the water down there. He said, well, that's ridiculous. He said, we need to clean all that up. I said, well, I think so too. And I said, would you please? Oh, he said, oh, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. Next to Tuesday night, board meeting, I opened in prayer. I looked out and said, uh, does anybody have anything on their heart? <laughs> Claude stood up. I said, Preacher, I got a long list here tonight. This is going to take a little while. He said, You might as well sit down. I said, Well, I think I will. <laughs> Todd looked at the board and said, Have any of you noticed the front door in our church? He said, Personally, I'm ashamed. <laughs> He's, he asked, what do, you, what do you think visitors think when they walk up that walk? First thing they see is that door. He said, we need to get off the old paint. We need to put a fresh coat of paint on. He said, we need to do it before Sunday so we can have a freshly coated painted door. Benny looked at him and said, I second that. Claude, that's a great idea. And everybody said, I. <laughs> Claude said, I'll tell you something else. He said, we got those three rooms behind the platform there. The one on the right's got a class. The one on the left's got a class. Those are both full. We need to start another Sunday school class. We need to clean out that middle room. And he looked back at Maxine Wilson and said, Sister Maxine, he said, I'd like you to be the Sunday school teacher. He said, I've heard you substitute. And he said, you do a good job. Especially, he said, when you have one of them, there are quarterlies. He said, you do a real good job teaching. He said, I'll get you a quarterly. And he said, I, my wife and I'll be the first two pupils in your classroom. And I'd like you to start teaching next Sunday morning. I look back at Maxine Wilson, big old tears coming down her cheeks. And she said, well, Brother Claude, said, if you think I can do it, I'll do my best for you and for Jesus. And Benny said, I second the idea. And everybody said, I... Benny said, have any of you been in the basement of Archer? He said, you need hip boots down there. Frogs are hopping around and crawdads are crawling around. He said, we need to clean up that. He looked at Ab Leganair and said, Ab, you bring your truck on Saturday morning at 8 o'clock. Leon, you bring yours. I'll bring mine. He said, let's bring a couple of the neighbors around our area. Let's have them help us. He said, we'll start at 8 o'clock. By noon on Saturday, that basin will be cleaned up for Sunday morning. Benny said, that's a great idea. Claude, I second it. And everybody said, ah. God looked at me and said, well, preacher, I think we're done tonight. He said, you can close in prayer. And I said, uh, I think I will. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 
had the privilege of pastoring that little country church for three years and three months. And about one week before every monthly board meeting, I'd call Claude on the phone. And I'd go down to the farm, and we'd do the chores together, and we'd talk about the church. Not one time in those three years and three months did I ever personally bring any item to the church board. Claude did it every time. What a powerful example. He, he just simply understood what leadership was. He understood who the influencer was and decided he was going to influence the influencer even. But he's just bringing up the point that leadership is influence. Whoever people look to in the room for the final word on on any situation is the real leader regardless of title or position. The same is true of our hearts. It doesn't matter if you say Jesus is Lord of my life if Jesus isn't really the influencer in your life. Doesn't matter what position or title you say you give to God in your life. Who you look to for the final word on any given situation in your heart is the real leader of your life. If Jesus really doesn't have the real influence, what does? If we look at our life and maybe fear has the final word, maybe doubt has the final word, maybe worry has the final word, maybe anger has the final word, maybe culture has the final word, I don't know. But whatever we look to for the final word in our life is the real leader of our life regardless of position or title. This is why so many of us are building our life on the sand because we say Jesus is Lord. We say we we do all the things that indicate externally by positions and titles and all these sorts of things. But the real leader of our life is the one that has influence. We can say Jesus is Lord all we want. But if Jesus is not the real influence of our heart, he's not the real leader of our life. The real leader of your life is the one that has influence. So how do we start to build? How do we start to get Jesus to have influence in our life and more influence? I'm going to ask you one more question. It's this. What are we blessing? What are we blessing? Now, this is going to make sense in just a minute. Many of you guys know the story, though, of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And it's a miracle story, and as we look into this, you'll see how it's a miracle story. In Luke chapter 9, verse 12, it says, Now when the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go to the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and provisions, for we're here in a desolate place. But Jesus said to them, just imagine you're one of the disciples, and Jesus is like, okay, how about you guys give them something to eat? There are thousands of people here, right? And, And he said, well, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. All we've got is a happy meal, Jesus. That's all we've got. It's just a happy meal, right? And he, he says, unless we go and buy, buy bread or buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men. That didn't include the, the kids and the ladies. That was just the, the men. 
And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. Now something happens in this blessing because he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd and they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. How many of you guys are trying to do the math in your mind on this, right? I mean, there's, there's just a few loaves and fish. Jesus blesses them, gives them to the disciples and what's left over is a whole lot more than what they started with and yet everybody ate, right? So he blesses the food and he gives it to the disciples. And as the disciples are passing it out, somehow there's this miraculous multiplication of the food. So what God blesses, what Jesus blessed, multiplied in the hands of the disciples. How many of you guys would like Jesus to pray over your food a little bit, right? Maybe your, your pantry, like Jesus, pray over that, bless that one, right? How about your bank account? Anybody like Jesus to bless your bank account? Like, bless that. Because if what God blesses multiplies, I want Jesus to bless a lot of things, right? But, but there's a, a, a principle here that we have to understand. What God, I believe we can see this over and over again, that what God blesses multiplies. But I believe the principle also applies in some ways to us. That what we bless in our life multiplies. Things that we bless and give our blessing to in our life. Have you noticed they start to multiply? What we give permission to starts to multiply. What we put our blessing on starts to multiply. Attitudes in our house start to multiply. Uh, words that we give our blessing to, to use, start to multiply. I mean, you can take this into every single area. And this all goes back, and especially with our words, to the power of our words. That We read this last week. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. You will have the fruit of your tongue or of your words, one way or the other. Has anybody heard of Jack Hayford? Anybody heard of Jack Hayford? He, he's like, I consider him like a theologian, okay? And he tells this story that I, I read about this week that really impacted me. He was driving down the road one day. It was just him and his car by himself. And he witnessed somebody driving crazy in front of him, cut somebody off, almost caused an accident. Have you, have you guys ever encountered some people like that on the road? And, and it's like, you shouldn't be driving, you know? But, and so he says out loud, he says, you idiot. Has anybody ever said something like that before? Okay. Maybe a little different word, but, you know, he's, he, says, he says, you idiot. And then all of a sudden, he got convicted by the Holy Spirit, and he heard God say, I've never created anyone by that description. And he was like, Phew. and then he started to think, well, what, what difference does it really make? That guy didn't hear me. No one else heard me. Yes, God, you heard me, but it, it didn't have any implications or repercussions. And then God revealed to him something very powerful. He said, Words that you say can give place to an attitude in your heart. So even though no one heard him say that, the fact that he said that started to give place to an attitude towards other people in his heart. And attitudes can grow in power. An attitude can give place to influence. 
See, I believe that our words can generate things. You know that your money can get, you can invest your money in such a way that pretty soon your money starts working for you and making you more money, right? Without you doing anything. How many of you guys are like, I got lazy money. Like my, my money's not working at all. But you can actually get to this tipping point where your money starts working for you. I believe that your words are the same way. You get to a tipping point with your words where your words start working ahead of you. What we bless multiplies. What multiplies has influence in our life. What has influence in our life is the real leader of our life. And what the real, who the real leader in our life is is really where we build the foundation of our life. So what are you blessing? What are you giving your blessing to? Is it an attitude? Is it a, is it, are, it, are there words in your life that you're giving blessing to? Is it a certain way that you've started? It, it can be anything, guys. It can be anything. But what we bless multiplies. And so I, I wanna close up here and have the worship team come back up, but, but, but as they do that, I wanna do something very similar to what we did Last week, only I felt it a little bit different. I feel like that some of us need to really have a blessing list. <laughs> it's gonna sound weird, but it may be time for some of us to make a list of what we actually want to put our blessing on. Maybe we've recognized in our heart attitudes that we've been blessing, and maybe you've noticed them multiplying. You can really see this with your kids, can't you? <laughs> How do you guys know? If you allow an attitude to continue with your kids, what happens? It multiplies. The same is true in a heart. It begins to grow. Some of us need to bless certain right attitudes in our heart. We need to affirm certain things in our heart, even with our words. Some of us need to bless, make a list even of certain people that we are going to bless that maybe we've been cursing. Well, they're my enemy, pastors. No, you know what Jesus said? Love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Is that really in the Bible? Yeah, it is. As hard as that is, we are to bless. Some of us need to bless our jobs and say a blessing over it. Some of us need to bless our managers that we've been cursing. <laughs> Some of us, we need to bless, bless, pray for those. Some of us just need to put a blessing list together. That's why it's so important. Would you guys stand with me? It's so important. When we, when we bless the Lord, you know, the Bible talks about, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. What we bless multiplies. When I bless the Lord with my soul and my heart, he increases in visibility in my life. When I bless, even if I don't feel like it, but I begin to bless the Lord, O my soul. And sometimes you have to tell your soul to bless the Lord in the circumstance but what happens when I, what I bless 
multiplies. God begins to grow in my life. God begins to increase in my life. Jesus seems to show up bigger. He's magnified. When we magnify the Lord, what happens? He begins to grow in our perception. It's not that God gets bigger, but our perception of him gets bigger because there's an increase in our life. So right now as we close, we're going to just, you're going to bless some people in your heart. Maybe bless some right attitudes. Maybe eject some wrong attitudes. Maybe say out loud even right there where you're at, just blessing certain things in your life. And for sure, as we sing this last song, to bless the Lord, oh my soul. Lord, we want to build our life upon you, God, upon a firm foundation that's in you. God, first of all, we bless you. We want you to multiply in our life. Multiply your revelation, multiply your love, multiply your influence. Lord, we want to be those people who say Jesus is Lord, and it actually is the truth that you are leading our life, that you are Lord over our life, that you are large and in charge, God. God, we bless you right now. Lord, we speak a, a blessing towards you, God, and we say thank you so much for everything that you've done for us that you died on the cross for our sins, that you took our place, that there's no sin that's too great that could hold us back from you, that there's no condemnation in you, but Lord, that you offered your grace so freely so that we could just walk in freedom towards you, that you, you opened the way so that we could stand before the Father. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we bless you today. We bless you today in Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship one more time.